Well, I'll go back to my dad. He, he was just sitting next to me one day and, and, and then he, he said to me, son, hey, don't trade your time for money. Trade your skills for money. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. And you can check out some of my work on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. I'd also love to have you be part of our online Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group for creatives of all types. Basically just saying, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. If that's you, I want to invite you over to dailycreativehabit.com to join our Daily Creative Habit group. We look forward to seeing you there today. Now for today's episode, I sit down with a fellow visual artist, John McDavid. And John is an amazing artist and he has an amazing story. And I love how he shows up again and again, making the right next step. He puts himself out there and takes opportunities and then just continues to build relationships and serve the people around him. Now, John started in airbrushing and has gone on to do murals and design and illustration, toy design. I mean, Really, this guy is so talented, and I love that he's so giving, sharing his experiences and his knowledge, and we have a great time talking today, and I I gotta be honest, uh, I'm a little jealous. He also shares that he found himself in George Lucas's office at Skywalker Ranch. Um, Wow. Just a tad jealous. (laughs) But John, happy for you, and I know that uh, you're going to enjoy this episode. John also hosts his own podcast called The Breakthrough Creative, and it's a show where he talks to professional creatives about art and business. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you check out that show. It is not only an audio version uh, on you know Apple Podcasts and all the places you can find podcasts, but also on YouTube. So be sure to check that out and tell him I sent you. Without further ado, here is my creative chat with John McDavid. Well, John, welcome to the Creative Chat Show. I'm excited to talk to you today. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you, too. Yes, I always love it when I can speak to fellow visual artists. Um, We can geek out about stuff that few other people can geek out about. (laughs) That's very, very true. And being the pop culture guy you are too, I'm I'm right there with you. I love all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. So as I've already alluded to, yes, you are a visual artist, but in your own words, why don't you tell the listeners who you are and what you do? Oh my, you know what? It's funny. I, I've like crafted different ways to tell that to different people. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a visual artist who, who has always just wanted to make a living from my art. So when I'm speaking to a business person or a potential client, I, I express to them that I am uh, a guy who draws, who helps two or more parties to clarify their communication. And the reason why I crafted it that way is because that usually leads to additional questions. It gets a conversation going, right? And the 
the potential client will ask me, well, well, what do you do? And I usually reply to them with, well, what do you do? <laughs> and then they'll give me an idea of what they do. And then I can try and make my services fit uh, a, a potential need or a problem that can be solved uh, for them. Hmm. But if you were to ask me, you know, just you and I talking, and we, we've done some of this before, right? It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm an artist. I, I love, I love to draw. I love to paint. I have a background in airbrushing and airbrushing t-shirts. I have a background in special effects makeup that led me into toy design. And I just, I, I, I love the process of creating and, and I love to create with others. Hmm. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And your story is so rich with experiences and um, just, I don't know that we'll have time to, to dive too deep into all that stuff, but uh, I want to do, I do want to dial it back to, to when you were a kid and ask you like, was there one moment where maybe it dawned on you? Like, yeah, I am a creative person and I definitely want to do as much of this as possible. I was really little. Um, you know, my, my dad was a, a very, a very creative guy, even though he was, he was a math guy. Like he'd sit around reading calculus books for, for fun. That, that was kind of where, <laughs> where his, his, uh, enjoyment part of it laid anyway, but he was, uh, a, a mechanic and a machine repair guy, but he had this side to him that was, uh, he was very, very interested in creativity and he was interested in uh, process. So when I was really little, we, we would eat out a few times a week. And I remember there would always be a menu. Uh, and, well, like a, a placemat, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. But we did eat at places where the menu was on the placemat. And, and if there were you know, open spots, he would pull out his pen. And I can still hear the click of his thumb on the top of the pen. And he'd draw something and then he'd encourage me to draw something, which didn't take very long for me just to take the lead on. Dad, can I have the pen? Uh, let, let me go. And so, so I drew a lot and it really, it became, it became kind of the, the center point of our relationship. And, and so I just remember him when I, when I was young telling me, you know, you're going to, you're going to want to pick something to do for a living that, that you enjoy because you're going to be spending a lot of time doing it. And it was so easy to go to myself, to say to myself at the age of, you know, third, fourth grade or something, I'm going to be an artist. And, and my folks supported that. So that, mm, that was, was kind of when it hit. Yeah. Mm. So with that in mind, then what is the the entryway for you look like for that? Is it art school? Is it is it other opportunities? A mixture? Yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was pretty interesting because for for some reason my folks weren't weren't uh, at all against education, but my dad my dad was really a, a self made guy as much as anybody can be self made, right? Um, and you know, he, my folks were from England and they didn't really seem to understand the educational system here. Not that they couldn't, I don't know that they were interested, <laughs> but, but when I was, 
15, I, I knew I knew a few years before that that I wanted to get into special effects makeup. And so my, you know, my dad would come across articles and they encouraged me to uh, reach out to other artists who might be in the industry. And back, back in those days, you could call information 411 and get a phone number of a studio or a person if you knew what town they lived in. And so I started calling all these effects artists. And the one that everybody kept telling me to, to really get in touch with was Dick Smith who he's known as the godfather of makeup. He's since passed away several years ago, but he, he really um, revolutionized the, the makeup industry for film and television. I mean, what exists today exists in large part because of him, uh, because of his mentoring, because of his generosity and his encouragement. And I was this 15 year old kid who had called his home and his wife answered and he was not home. He was in Chicago, which is where I'm based. He was in Chicago working on a movie. And his wife said, let me take your number. He'll call you back. And I thought, he's never going to call me back. And so I got off the phone with him. Next morning, I had driver's education. I had to go to as the middle of summer. I go off to driver's ed to be tortured by this. Ugh, it was it was a bad run. But anyway, um, I get home and I'm walking in the back door and my mom calls out to me, Dick Smith has called five times. You need to sit <laughs> by the phone. So he called a sixth time and he, he was interested in talking to me and he's calling from the set. And I just remember the two things that he said to me that really landed were, Hey, I, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to become a makeup artist, but I promise that I'll be honest with you when you send me images of your work. And the other thing he said was the only difference between you and me is that I've made a lot more mistakes, meaning himself, right? He mm -hmm. had more experience and made mistakes. And man, that was such a generous thing for, for a man who was on set working away from home. It's really busy. Uh, to take that time to call me. And then, and then, you know, the guy had an Oscar as well, and he's taking time on somebody he doesn't even know. Uh, and then to share that kind of wisdom was, man, that was stellar. So you would ask me about school. And the reason mm -hmm. why I told you that story was when I was graduating high school, my, my folks told me, hey, we'll send you to a four-year college. We'll send you wherever you want to go. I didn't want to go anywhere. I, I really, I didn't know anything about art schools. I, I wasn't particularly interested in a four-year college, uh, although I was an honor student. I was a good student, but I didn't, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know at that point. Maybe if I'd had some, some different kind of advice, I might've made a different choice. But Dick Smith had a correspondence course where he would, he would basically share all of his notes, all of his experience, all of his uh, formulas. And, and then you, you had like his approval. So you could get into all these effects houses out in LA. And, and so I asked my folks for that. And so they, they purchased that. And then I began to study under Dick and uh, it was, it was wonderful. It, it was just an amazing time. And I did end up going to community college for a, a short period of time because I, that would keep me on my folks insurance. And mm -hmm. I took one art class there, which was 
it was just, it was not my cup of tea. And I think, you know, I was, I think I was a difficult student too, because I kind of knew what I wanted to do. And uh, I remember at the end of that class, I, I left the art program and I took all business. I took accounting, business law, uh, business management, entrepreneurial classes, because I thought I can figure out the art side of it. I need, I need to get my head around this business side of things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think that's not something that's common with artists. Most of the time it's, I want to drill down and and go as deep as I can on the art side and not really think about or not worry about the business side of things. And I think the, the time in which we live today, it, things have become a lot more accessible. And I think things are talked about a lot more, thankfully, as far as an artist being thought of as an entrepreneur, you know, creative entrepreneur, um, and not relying necessarily on systems and other people for other pieces to fill in gaps and things. Um, you know, so for that end of things, I think it's really speaks, you know, highly of you that you thought, hey, this is something I need to invest in myself in at that point, knowing that these are skills that you are going to need to put into practice um, to have that, that foresight to do that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I wish I could tell you I'm a genius, but that <laughs> would be an absolute lie. I, I think, I think I have a nature that is kind of pragmatic mm -hmm. where I just say, all right, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to eat these vegetables? Okay. I've got to eat these vegetables. And I, you know, I fought with that in my early years that, that I really, I didn't want to learn about business. I wanted to have fun, mm -hmm. paint and draw and, and sculpt and, and do all my stuff, the creative stuff. But, but I knew there was just something inside of me that said, if I don't have an understanding of, of this other part of, of, of what will become really, you know, my existence, then I would, I would be, I wouldn't be free somehow, mm. you know, I would be, I'd be enslaved in some way. And I, I just wasn't interested in, in, in remaining in captivity in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Totally. Totally. So continue to walk us through your journey. Then you're, you've got some education under your belt that, you know, you're, you're amassing these things going like, okay, I know here's where I want to focus here are some skills I need to acquire. What comes next? Well, you know, right, right at that age of 18, when I graduated high school, my dad gave me another gift and it was, he, he stopped my allowance. And, <laughs> and I remember I was really upset about that. And, and he said, you're going to have to get a job and, you know, you're going to have to figure it out. And, and so I, I, I worked a little bit of retail, like I worked a week of retail <laughs> at a frame shop and I couldn't do it. And the poor guy, he was so nice. Like before he hired me, he said, you're not going to stay here. And I said, yes, I am. And then a week went by and I said, no, I'm not going to stay here. I'm sorry. And at that point in time in America, airbrushing t-shirts became a thing. It was a big thing. And there was a guy who airbrushed t-shirts down at the local mall. And then there was another group that were at a different mall. And I started to hang out and I had an airbrush at home. And so I was trying to learn what I could from watching them and started to strike up a, 
a friendship with these two guys who were from South Carolina and had been uh, planted up here by their boss to make this business go. And they were very friendly and they would chat with me all day and then they would have me get behind the airbrush. And meanwhile, I'm airbrushing at home in the garage in the middle of summer and in the, you know, just sweating uh, like seven to eight hours a day. Cause I just know I've got to, I, this is, this is the ticket to not having to work <laughs> a regular job. And I, I started to get better. And after about three months or so, I, I, I was at a point where I could airbrush a t-shirt and make a sale and work with a client. And then these guys hired me, their boss hired me because these guys didn't want to be here. They wanted to be back in South Carolina. So I, I had this experience of, it was a couple of experiences because I got hired. And then after these guys left, the owner of the company had made an agreement with me that he would pay benefits to me as well. He'd cover my health insurance and all this and that. And he rescinded the offer. And so I said, look, I said, you, you've either got to do it or I've got to leave. And he tried to call my bluff and so I quit. And he lost the shop up here. Somebody else picked it up. And, and so then I was on my own and, and that really, that stunk, right? Because I wanted the situation to work. But what it did for me is, is it taught me that if somebody says they're going to do something, you have two options, which is really only one option. Either you, you work under the ever-changing conditions that, that you can't rely on somebody's word, or you quit and you start to figure out your own thing. And so, of course, when I say there's only one decision, you've got to decide, are you going to buckle uh, and, and, you know, we all face difficult situations and sometimes, sometimes you got to eat some dirt, right, to, to get by and to survive. But in that case, I didn't have to. So, so I quit. And then I, I bought a silent compressor around that season because I was airbrushing at a mall. I went and I started to uh, try and become an airbrush t-shirt artist for an existing store so that, you know, they had all the overhead and then they get some of my um, money based off of the art, they'd get a percentage and then they would be able to make a profit off of the t-shirts as well and try and make it a win-win. And I had this just crazy situation where as, as a, a, a 20 year old, I, I grossed $11,000 over a month time, uh, one Christmas. And it was after that, I said to myself, I'm never working for anybody again. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to have a career working for anybody. So, so that led me, you know, into my twenties and I had a couple of different locations at a couple of different times. And then, uh, went out to LA to interview with effects houses. And I went up to San Francisco to interview with Chris Wallace's shop, which was kind of at the end of its run. Chris, Chris was getting ready to shut the shop down. They, they had done the fly and arachnophobia and gremlins and, and they were just down the street from ILM from Lucas's place in Skywalker ranch. And the reason why I went up there was I had dated a girl in high school whose volleyball coaches brother-in-law was in charge of all the props at Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> and he's wondering who's this young guy hanging out 
you know, watching the girls play volleyball and he was a good guy and a coach. And he's like, what are you doing here? Well, I'm dating her. Oh, okay. Well, tell me about yourself. Do you have plans? Do you, he's looking out for her. Right. And he found out that I, what my interests were. And he said, Oh, my, my brother-in-law, you know, works at Skywalker ranch. Would you be interested in me putting him in touch with you? Yes, very much, please. Thank you. And so I, I got to go out to Skywalker ranch and see all the props up close and oh my goodness like what a what a dream like i was at i was at pop culture star wars mecca and and then at some point we walked across uh the the grounds to the main house where where george lucas's office is and and a, a few minutes after that i'm standing in george lucas's office <laughs> and he wasn't there that day he'd hurt his wrist or something but I would have met him if he was there apparently. And I thought to myself, how did I get here? How did this happen? Well, it happened because I I wanted it to happen, I, I guess, in, in part, right? I mean, I'm I don't I'm not a believer in like, oh, you put it out to the universe, you know. But I, I believe if you open yourself up to opportunities and you you tell people what it is you do and where you want to get to, you've got a much better shot of getting to it than, than otherwise. Right. Absolutely. And, and then I had an interview at ILM and then I went down to uh, LA for the week. And my last interview in LA was with Rick Baker who had done an American werewolf in London and thriller and was going to be, cause this was 91 or something men in black. And, you know, he was, he was the guy I wanted to work for. And I, I had a two hour interview with him and he was, he, he was everything I had hoped he would be. And, and then he let me down gently cause he had his crew together and he was set and my skills weren't where they needed to be. But I, I had an opportunity to put all my cards on the table and say, Hey, I want to be in this industry because of you. I'm here to work for you. I didn't tell this to anybody else that I interviewed with. Uh, and I told him, I, I, I want to work for you. And then he let me down gently. And, and I, I wasn't even disappointed at that because I'd had a shot. That's all I ever want is give me a shot. And so I came home and, you know, I'm still airbrushing and I'm trying to decide what to do. And I realized I didn't like LA. I like the Midwest. I like Chicago. So I stayed and I kept airbrushing and then two amazing things happened. One, there was this guy who'd pop by on a Saturday every so often and real gregarious told me he was a sculptor. And after several visits, I found out that he, he was a sculptor for the toy industry. He was an inventor and he invited me to his studio, which was nearby. And we cast the face of some student for a play. And I saw his studio. And so here, here he was, he's sculpting Happy Meal toys and Barbies. And like this, this guy was the real deal. And I realized that toy design and ultimately product development and design was a cousin to special effects makeup. And I started to work a bit with Dave and, and then I started to work more and more and more. And then I found that I, I had kind of a unique skill in that I could, I could draw not just quickly, but controlled drawings. So I could make Snow White look like Snow White for approval by the manufacturer and by Disney. 
and and aid the sculptor or the factory or the engineers with front views and side views and back views of a particular piece and then help them to figure out to scale to dimensions where the pivot points would go and how it would be molded and and I, I, I had been developing these skills that I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of that, mm-hmm. that were happening. And, and I also found I was kind of a, uh, a little bit of a unicorn and that I could do, do those things all together. I think there are a lot more people who do that now. You see people everywhere, but in, in that season and where I was pre-internet, um, I had a, a, a special skill set that really worked for me and really worked for the clients. And then the other uh, event that happened was I was airbrushing t-shirts one day and in walked this guy wearing a tweed jacket all dressed up. And I thought that's kind of strange that he's popping in here, business guy, must be coming through the airport or something. And, And he asked me what kind of airbrushes I was using. And I thought that was a strange question. So I told him I'm using these double action Pache VLs. And then he asked me, why are you using those? And that was a really odd question. So I said, well, this is what I have and it's what I use and I love them. And then he opened his jacket and he presented me with an airbrush. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a Badger Crescendo airbrush. And it was Ken Schlattfeld, who was the owner of Badger Airbrush. And he said, hey, I really like your work. Will you come have a meeting with me on Monday? And that was Saturday night. And so I went out to Badger Airbrush that Monday and I walked out with a retainer, a monthly retainer. And and I had this relationship with Badger for a decade and they would fly me around the States to uh, educate or demo or to help them develop their product and and I went to Germany a couple of times and, and all the while I have this retainer coming in and all the airbrush equipment I could want. And uh, just just a couple of fortuitous, amazing events that came right out of airbrushing. Hmm. That's amazing. You know, and what I'm hearing in all that is you're, you showed up, you put yourself in a place where when opportunity came to you, you were ready. And had you not pursued airbrushing and doing those t-shirts and setting up shop there, you know, would those other things have happened? Maybe, maybe not, you know, who knows, right. You you could play that game, but really it was just your saying, Oh, well, here's the right next step to take. And I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm showing up. I'm doing all that I know how to do. And then when something else comes, I'm following that trail. And seeing where that leads to, you know. Um, so I love that it's it's very organic, and you know, I think too many times people think I have to have this master plan of here's where I want to go. Now let me reverse engineer every single thing and figure out every relationship that I need to put in place and figure out every you know. And it's like it just doesn't happen that way. Uh, and when you try to ha- to have it happen that way, you just get frustrated because it's it's that's not how things work you know? And so to be very open-handed and very um, just accessible in the moment. uh, I I love that that's so much in your story. It's, it's, it's fun. It's Mm -hmm. exciting. And, and, you know, believe me, I've airbrushed in some 
crummy situations. Like, like, what am I doing here? What I'm making no money. I'm, you know, it hasn't been all a bed of roses, right? Like there was a, there was a lot of work and there was a, that I didn't make a lot of money in my twenties. You know, I had that, like I said, I had that $11,000 a month when I was 19 or 20. And then, and then it was like, I was, I was chasing that, that income through my twenties. But, but what I, what I was doing was, as I was building relationships and skill sets and, and learning uh, how to overcome the obstacles of business or, or, you know, particular projects. And, and I was just adding and adding and adding all along the way until I, I could handle it. And so, yeah, just like you say, it's, it's, I think there's a, a, a part where you want to reverse engineer a little bit, but you can't be so married to it that, that you don't let life happen mm-hmm. because it's not going to happen like you expect it's going to happen. Um, the good things and the bad things and the boring things, right? There's a lot of yeah. boring things in <laughs> daily life that you're like, uh, eh. and, and so are, are you willing to keep uh, pursuing the desire of, of what it is you want to do and where you want to be with it? And, you know, that's probably been the biggest thing for me is the desire to be creative daily and mm-hmm. to solve problems for customers and clients daily. I, mm-hmm. I had this situation happen toward the end of my 20s where um, uh, a, a library called me up and and it was, well, my mom called me up and she said, hey, do you remember this librarian from where you grew up? Yeah, when you were a kid, yeah. Uh, she's looking for you and she's over in Downers Grove. So, okay, so I called her in Downers Grove and she said, hey, we're having a call for artists uh, for, um, I'm already screwing my story up because I've, somebody will listen to this and they're going to correct <laughs> me because it was a different contact at the library. So I'll just say that right now. So anyway, she, she called me up and she said, Hey, we're taking a call for muralists. Would you be interested? Yes. So I picked up my brief. I read everything over and the brief essentially was there were these four different murals and they had a description and what they wanted was a sample of your work and a quote well I don't like losing jobs and I thought how on earth are they going to know what my vision is for this stuff so I created mock-up boards fully rendered mock-up boards of the whole mural, or if there was a really big lengthy mural in there, a component of it. Because I wanted to, them to see what they're gonna be getting. And I wanted them to be excited about what, it, what could be on their wall. And I won the bid. So that was really exciting. Being my first big mural, I know I didn't charge enough. So I think that was part of what helped as well. But I had this giant mural to do and I thought, I got it, this is fantastic. And then I was like, oh no, I got it. How am I going to do this? And they it kept getting pushed out because of the construction they were doing. So it was about a year and a half out. And in the meantime, I thought to myself, I need to figure this out. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to do this thing? So I spoke with a friend, with my friend Dave, who who knew uh, someone who was a faux finisher, and she worked with a lot of interior decorators. So I went and met with her. And my grand plan was, was I was going to paint 
residential murals for the year, make a living while I was learning and give people great work, but figure out my processes. And it was funny because two of my closest creative friends who I respected highly, both, you know, not to hurt me, to help me, they looked in there like, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you can do that. And everything within me said, I got to do that. Well, I ended up making about 40,000 that year, learning how to paint murals. And, and people were thrilled with the murals. And I, I thought, this is fantastic. So then I went and I finished up this big mural. And I just learned a big lesson from that, that I needed to trust myself more and more. Listen to my friends, listen to, to experienced people, but, but trust, trust my instincts. And then, and then be flexible, be willing to bend and go, well, I was really wrong. That was bad. I shouldn't have done that. And then you can, you know, pivot. So, you know, when I finished that job, I, I ended up calling up a place for a mural. I didn't even know if they wanted a mural. I ended up walking away from that phone call with a 40 by 16 foot mural. That was another substantial amount of income. And so it was just this fantastic situation where I was like, okay, I'm earning, earning, earning. And then I bought my first computer and that's where I really started to move in more into product development. Mm. It's such an organic thing for sure. And, and um, I love that you're not afraid to try and not afraid to figure things out as you go and acquire whatever skills, whatever knowledge, whatever contacts, you know, as you are in the moment. Um, Cause I think that's where you find a, a certain tenacity when you're able to, to stay in that place, you know, because you know, Hey, I gotta just figure this out. Um, and there's going to be a way forward and it may not be perfect. Most of the time it's not going to be perfect, <laughs> but uh, I am definitely going to learn and I'm going to grow as a person and as an artist, you know, yeah. And I, I think, you know, some people, maybe people are listening to this, but there's some people in my life who might say, um, it's easy for me because I'm a tough guy, but I'm not, I'm not a tough guy. I'm, I'm, I'll get in front of a big mural, every mural that I get ready to do, I go, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? Like, this is daunting, but you, you do it by getting started. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I'll get, I'll get other big jobs or I'll go visit a new client and I'm, I'm kind of a gentle spirit. I, I just want to help people, but I also, I know that, that I've, I've got to stand up for myself to earn and, and I, I respect the people I work with, but I also I want to be respected too. And if we're not going to have that kind of a relationship, then we're probably not going to be working together for very long. So, man, it's a really wild mix of, of you know, deciding what are you going to take? What is reasonable? What do you want to do? What do you want to earn? How do I make a living wage? How do I keep creating the stuff I want to create? Uh, I'm in a season that absolutely stinks. Like everything stinks right now. I'm in a bad mood. My clients are in bad moods. We got to get this stuff done. But but you've got to kind of ride those seasons out to be able to discern 
whether whether they're seasons or not. If they're not seasons, you may want to get out of those things, right? But if it's a season, you know, like that big mural I was just talking about the the at the library, that was a I w- I was there for 42 days and I was off for two of those days. And and there there were fits and starts at the beginning of it and it's not easy. There was spilled paint. There, you know, there's just all these crazy things that happen that that sounds like you you would just want to run from the project, but then the project gets completed and you've got this piece of work that you're so proud of, and you develop relationships with the artists who work with you. I hired some people to work with me, and then uh with the actual library and now you've got this this showpiece to share with the world and with other clients and they've had me back to do two or three more murals there over the last 20 years mm. and so that's been remarkable and yeah. you know long lasting business friendships yeah yeah. So important. So important for sure. And and it's like you said, you never know where those other relationships lead to. And it's just being open to that and keep showing up. Just keep, yeah. keep showing up, keep figuring it out for sure. Well, it's hard to believe, but we're at the top of our time already. Um, I, I know we could go for, I'm sure, days and hardly scratch the surface. <laughs> But uh, I pre- so appreciate you being with us today. I, I want to ask you one last question. And maybe you could leave listeners today with something, a piece of advice that you felt you returned to again and again, something that has been something that's been very instrumental to you that you're like, you know what? I think this would be a, a, a piece of wisdom for someone else right now. Well, I'll go back to my dad. <clears throat> and And when I was in middle school, I think it was middle school. He he was just sitting next to me one day and 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 then he he said to me, "Son, hey, don't trade your time for money. Trade your skills for money." And and I remember thinking, "Why are you telling me this right now?" <laughs> <laughs> but it it kind of settled and seeded in my brain and in my heart. And and I, I came back to discuss that with him several different times, but he, what he expressed to me was, was he made a good living. He was able to, you know, move from London to, to America to make the kind of life he wanted to make. And he said, I trade my time for money. I can make as much money as I have time. He said, you don't want to do that because it puts a ceiling on your income. You want to be able to make a living from your skills. And, and so that really just burned itself into my mind and and heart, like I said, where, where that led me was, was I wasn't really interested in working for 40 or $50,000 a year anywhere. I, I wanted to blow the lid off of it whenever I felt like it. I mean, not that you can do it that easily. Right. But I wanted the opportunity to be able to really earn from, from what I knew and what I did. So I think you know, in, in, in part, that that may have been what really freed me up to look beyond uh, a regular gig into entrepreneurialism and my own business, and and into being bold and and trying all of these uh, different 
opportunities that would arise. And, you know, then the other thing that my dad told me is uh, just try it. What's it matter? Like about anything. He said, what, what's it matter? Try selling something. And if somebody says no, they've just said no, big deal. Um, if, if you, you know, work on a mural and it doesn't go well, so what? You've learned, so, you tried, you did your best. And, and so, you know, I, I, I think that those, those two last bits of advice are for artists who maybe haven't had that kind of support in their lives uh, of just saying, hey, first off, your identity is not your work. Mm -hmm. You're more than your work. You're more than what you output. So if somebody doesn't like it, that's not a commentary on you as a person. And, and it's certainly not a commentary on whether your work is really, really good or not, depending on what avenue you're going after. Because there's so many different people with so many different tastes and so what? If somebody, I mean, I know a lot of people who don't like monsters, right? I love monsters. So if they see my drawings or paintings and they see a monster, they're not gonna like it. So what? That's okay. And, and then the other aspect of it is, uh, you know, just kind of opening up the possibilities for how you can make a living from your art if that's really what you want to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people listening today that are trying to figure out how do I keep showing up for my art? And if that's what they want to move into that as far as making a living from it and having some handles and having some advice, that timely advice, I think when you're in the midst of that, trying to figure that out, it feels lonely and you're looking for someone who has gone ahead of you a little bit and that can offer you some advice. Um, I think that's going to land for sure. So thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. So before we go, can you just um, lay some links on us? Also, you have a podcast and um, be sure, you know, let us know a little bit about that and where we can find that and where we can find you on the internet and how people can follow you. Certainly. Thanks. Uh, yeah, the podcast and also YouTube show is The Breakthrough Creative, and it's a show about the business of art and the art of business. And I interview artists who are making a living from their art, all different kinds of artists. And uh, I will do one-off episodes as well where I, I uh, you're able to learn from all the mistakes I've made <laughs> in my career. Uh, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts and you can find it on YouTube. It's the Breakthrough Creative channel. And then if you want to find me, you can go to direct.me. Uh, what is it? Backslash or forward slash? Uh, I think it's backslash. Backslash. All right. I think. So you can go to direct.me backslash John McDavitt, and you'll be able to find all of my links there. Perfect. So. All right. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes, make it easy. People can just click and uh, be right there. So John, I want to thank you so much for our time today. Seriously. Um, I, I just, you have a wealth of just opportunity that you've had and experiences and knowledge and just a heart to share. And so I so, so appreciate that. And know that people uh, are going to want to continue to journey alongside you. So thank you. Thanks, Mike. I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Thanks for all you're doing. 
Uh, your show is fantastic. And I, I just love how you're encouraging artists to create. It's so important. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.